the main thing we notice is people really call out the texture of our product and the crunch of the product. I think people have experience with indoor greenhouse product and like, it just doesn't have that same like hardiness that I expect from the field. It's really hard to replicate that crunch. This is something that's partially due to our technology and our lighting and how we grow, but it also is driven by less transit and not washing. Welcome to today's show. This season, we are talking about the last mile and what's changed in getting produce onto consumers' plates. In this segment, we are talking to Jill Carlson of Plenty. Plenty is a vertical farm supplying leafy greens at this point and future crops later. We will talk about the differences in getting produce to consumers from their business. Welcome, Jill. And can you tell us uh, about yourself and your role? Yeah. Hi, Bonnie. Thanks so much for having me today. As you mentioned, I work for Plenty and I'm our Director of Business and Product Development. So I oversee our commercial expansion into new channels and then also new products. And so I've been at Plenty about three and a half years and I've been working at the intersection of food and technology for my entire career. But this has been sort of my first three or four years in produce and I absolutely love the industry and really thrilled to be speaking with you today. Oh, excellent. So tell us a little bit about Plenty. There's most people have heard something about it, but talk about the company a little bit, and then we can talk about some of the sites and and what you all are up to. Absolutely. So Plenty is an indoor vertical farming company, as you mentioned, and our ultimate mission is to make sure that everyone has access to fresh food. One of the things that we believe is that to drive consumption of fresh produce, You really have two pillars that you need to solve. One is just physical access and affordability. You know, to your point on the just last mile in the supply chain, can people get the food? And is it at a price point that's accessible to them? And then the second piece is it really has to taste great. And it has to last long enough in people's refrigerators for people to get to eat them. And so we really focus on growing consistent quality year round and making sure that we have that availability component and then also the element of quality and flavor. We really believe that's what's going to drive consumption. And so we've taken an innovative approach to solving for both of those things. Uh, And we've created the world's most technologically advanced indoor vertical farm, um, thinking about what plants need first and building the farm infrastructure from the ground up. And that's allowed us to unlock um, really industry-leading yield, so 350 t- up to 350 times more per acre uh, than traditional farms um, through our patented wow. architecture, and um, and as well as building kind of the largest IP portfolio to help us drive um, drive this platform forward. And your main uh, farm right now is in Compton, right? That's opened fairly recently. That's right. So yeah, today we've really been focused on building the fundamental infrastructure for our farms and to you know create that infrastructure that can scale across various locations and various crops. And now we're entering into this bigger commercial phase. So as you mentioned, we recently completed our first commercial farm in Compton in Southern California, which we'll be kind of more formally launching this spring as we ramp up our production there. Um, And that farm is capable of growing about four and a half million pounds of uh, leafy greens annually. Um, And that entire site is actually just a city, a single city block. So as I mentioned, just the amount of, you know, yield and productivity per space 
uh, is really meaningful and what we're able to achieve there. I don't know if I, if you knew, or I mentioned to you, but with the accelerator that I'm doing that, um, we are visiting Compton on May, I forget which date it's the Monday, May 7th, I think. So I'm super excited. We'll be taking everyone in the accelerator and going through the Compton plan. And I'm so excited to see it. I've been watching all of the videos, like the mayor of Compton came and just super, you know, I would encourage anyone, I assume most of those videos are on your website, but they're just some great videos about Compton and how you guys have really engaged with the community there. It's been really fabulous to, to just watch the building and the coming on of that plan. Yeah, I definitely recommend, yeah, visit our website or our YouTube channel for more content on that. It's funny because, you know, I go into the farm regularly and I see it all the time. So I'm almost desensitized to how remarkable <laughs> and amazing it is. And then you go in with someone new with fresh eyes who's not seen it before. And it really like, you know, takes people's breath away. And that like reminds me like, wow, yes, this is amazing. I just, I see it all the time now that I yeah. get um, a little desensitized to it. And yes, to your point on Compton, that's been a big commitment for us. Um, last summer, we actually first launched in Southern California by exclusively serving Compton um, retailers and food service providers. You know, as I mentioned about physical access, we really wanted to make sure that people in the community where we're growing have access to our produce. Yeah. Um, and we've maintained that availability and that continuity since then. Uh, and we've also made a commitment to uh, have at least 30% of employees of that Compton facility be uh, hired from directly within the community. So, you know, we're planting roots in more ways than one and really invested in the community there. That's great. Yeah. And I saw it pictures of the mural that is painted on the front, I guess the front side. And so I'm really excited about seeing that too. Yeah. The side of the building. Yeah. That's very cool. Well, we can't wait to have you, Bonnie. Yeah. That'll be great. So what's going on in Laramie? Tell us about that. Yeah. So uh, Laramie has actually been the site of our innovation and research center for a long time. So that's where we do um, a lot of our fundamental crop and platform research to make sure that we are um, you know, growing the right cultivars and uh, have the right grow recipes for those. One of the unique things as we get into the supply chain that we can can talk through is actually, you know, we don't have to pick cultivars based on their resiliency to the supply chain because we can grow anywhere. Um, that really kind of differentiates how we grow. But in Laramie, we're really doubling down on investing in research space there and, and building our R&D capabilities. So we've actually just received a $20 million grant from the state of Wyoming to support us building out this vertical farming research center. And to our knowledge, it'll be the world, world's largest vertical farming research center. And this is going to accelerate our pipeline in terms of new crop, also help us drive further increases in yields and bring you know some of these new innovations to market sooner. So we're really excited about being able to double down in Wyoming. And uh, it's pretty amazing if you, you know, visit Wyoming in January and it's snowing and you can have, you know, some of the best tasting strawberries in the world coming out of, you know, a farm that's in Wyoming. It's just pretty remarkable. So uh, we're really, really excited about, about investing there. And there's great talent in the area and uh, a lot of exciting things to come. I lived in Wyoming for a couple of years in Laramie when I was growing up. And then I have family that lives there still. And 
it's great to see jobs go there. It's great to see research go there. And my mom hated living there because it because of the snow, like you said. And she used to say there's a big pile of snow somewhere because the snow just it snows sideways because of the wind. <laughs> and so um, it's it's to think about strawberries growing in that environment is pretty exciting. So that's great. Yeah. When I've done the drive from Denver to Laramie, I'm always like terrified in the car because it's so windy <laughs> on the highways there. Like, can the car actually sustain this? It always makes me a little <laughs> bit nervous. You're right. The winds are wild, um, but it's a wonderful place. And uh, we're really excited yeah. about investing there. That's great. And then your next farm in the east on strawberries, what's happening there? Yep. So we recently announced um, our farm campus in Virginia in the Richmond area that will have the ability to host multiple farms, but including a, a farm where we will be partnering with Driscoll's and growing strawberries. And one of our most recent announcements actually is that we've entered into some new financing relationships for future farms. So we've actually partnered with Realty Income and they're a publicly traded company, publicly traded real estate company. And uh, they'll be providing up to a billion dollars in real estate investment to support our future farms, starting with that, that strawberry farm in Virginia. And that'll be the first farm on the campus. Uh, and what's really exciting here is, you know, to date, we've seen the indoor farming and greenhouse, you know, rise be really driven by venture capital funding. That's highly dilutive and, you know, creates challenges as you get into this kind of commercial motion of needing to make these big investments in infrastructure. And this really shows that there's a ton of momentum to make those investments outside of venture capital. And is a real proof point that these farms can be real real estate assets. And we're really optimistic that that's going to help us, you know, build more farms in the future and, you know, create these hubs where we can access, you know, more consumers and get more fresh produce into the hands of, of people. We could go deep into that because that's, that's a whole other podcast because I am so excited. It's a whole and, other podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> Your CEO talked about this a lot. I was at Indoor AgCon recently and it was really interesting just to hear this business model change and and how important this move is. So, so I'm not going to go any further into that. That's a whole nother podcast we can have, but it is a, it's a very exciting development. So walk us through what happens at Compton, just to give people a sense of kind of how everything happens all in one spot from seeding to germination. Like, so how, do, how, does, how does a seed end up getting packaged? Yep, it's a great question. So exactly, one of the really unique things about Plenty and how we grow is that everything happens under one roof. So, you know, we start with seeding into, you know, germination and propagation, and ultimately products are grown, harvested, and packed and stored all in one space. So it means that we don't have additional food miles going in from, you know, the field, then to a processing facility, then to a storage facility. It also means that the process happens really quickly. Um, not only is our grow process accelerated because we've invested in lighting technology that lets us grow really fast, uh, but you don't have wasted time between you know harvest and pack. That obviously is just delaying produce getting to people's you know mouths and refrigerators. And so it's it's a pretty unique you know setup to have all of that happen in one space. That's exciting. So after they're packed. Where do they go? What happens then after you've you've packed? So after product is packed, our supply chain is actually pretty similar to you know outdoor growers or anyone else. 
But I'd say a couple key differences is that we're not shipping all over the country. Um, you know, the Compton Farm is designed to serve the Western region. And our goal is that the bulk of product coming out of our farms should be able to reach consumers within a one day drive. So with Leafy Greens, traditionally, a lot of that product is coming from Salinas or Yuma. And it's going all over the country. You know, as we build additional farms, we'll be able to have these hubs where that distribution is much more regional. And so, for example, our Virginia campus is actually within a day's drive of 100 million consumers. Um, and that's really going to enable faster time to shelf and faster time to get the product to consumers. And so in terms of how the product actually gets out the door, we do have our own logistics team and sometimes we do our own deliveries. Other times we partner with retailers or distributors to pick up on existing routes. One of the things that's really exciting about Compton is it's really actually a central location to a lot of different distribution centers and shipping routes. And so instead of going from Salinas down to a distribution center and then out somewhere else, um, we're actually kind of in the hubs where a lot of these distribution centers are. And so the product is often not going very far. It's going from Compton to Vernon or Compton to Riverside and then being distributed out. Um, and so it's another way we can kind of reduce food miles and reduce uh, the time to shelf. That makes a big difference. And then the other piece is because we can grow in places like Compton, uh, which is enabled by the fact that our yields are so high, we can actually have these smaller footprint buildings but have commercial scale production. It means we can produce a lot closer to where produce is being picked up and produce is being consumed. So it's one of the big things that differentiates us. So you sell to a number of different retailers and is that, are, are systems different with different retailers? Do some of them come and pick up and then take to their stores or just sometimes you go from Compton to a distribution center and then out? Like How does, how does that whole logistic thing happen? Totally. So it really depends on the scale of the retailer. You know, some folks pick up and do direct store delivery from there, but most often produce is being picked up at our facility and then being brought to a retailer's distribution center before it makes its way to stores. One of the things that we've really focused on is having really close partnerships with our retailers. And so we do things like try and understand when do their trucks leave their distribution centers in the morning? to get to their stores? And how can we coordinate our delivery days to make sure we don't have lost time in the distribution center, right? So if trucks leave by 10 a.m. to get out, can we do deliveries, you know, at four, five, six, seven in the morning and get that product turned around same day and make it to the stores? So by having that real close partnership with retailers, understanding their existing processes and trying to be flexible in what we do, we try and cut out, like, where can we cut out a day here or a day there um, and make sure that we're getting the freshest possible product to consumers because we really can get product to someone as quickly as a day after harvest. You know, we That's can amazing. harvest and pack in the same day and then have a pickup early that morning and have that product get out to a retailer that afternoon. But it requires that real tight synergy with the folks that you're working with and making sure that you're optimizing along the way. Now, that's not to say that every single time we're going to get product that's one day old, um, but but we can do it as, as quickly as that. And that's certainly something that's you know not possible in a lot of other models today. So what effect does that have on freshness, quality, and shelf life? 
Yeah. So shelf life is one of those things that like we think so much about and also it's really hard to compare because you can't replicate someone else's exact supply chain. But we do know that the way that we grow and the way that we ship has a real big impact. So first of all, because we are, you know, harvesting and packing and under all of one roof, we have full temperature control from harvest all the way to pack out. And so any sort of degradation of shelf life that typically happens because of product being on a truck going from one place to another before it's packed is something that we don't have to suffer from. The other piece is just the number of hours and miles that the product is sitting in a truck for is reduced. Um, And that means that we can get fresher product to people on the shelf. And so that's a real big impact. And then the other piece is that because our produce is no need to wash, we're not putting extra stress on the plants by, you know, washing that product. Mm -hmm. And that actually delivers like a really, really high quality experience for the consumer. So I'm sure you've done a lot of consumer tests. What do consumers notice? What do they say about your product? The main thing we notice is people really call out the texture of our product and the crunch of the product. I think there's a lot of like people have experience with indoor greenhouse product and like just doesn't have that same like hardiness that I expect from the field. It's really hard to replicate that crunch. Um, This is something that's partially due to our technology and our lighting and how we grow. But it also is driven by less transit and not washing. Uh, We actually just released our curly baby spinach and some of the early research that that we're doing and feedback that we're getting from consumers is they love the crunch, right? They're used to like a really, um, you know, kind of tender and delicate spinach. And this gives them that tenderness, but it also really has great crunch. And a lot of people we know mix like you know, baby spinach with romaine because they want the health benefits of baby spinach, but they want kind of that crunch from romaine. And we're finding we can actually maybe give them a little bit of both in one place. And so that's really, really exciting. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, we don't have to pick cultivars based on how they could travel from, mm-hmm. you know, the Central Valley all the way to the East Coast. And so that means we can be kind of uncapped in terms of seeking cultivars that really deliver on on flavor and quality. Um, I think our baby kale is a great example of that, where it's really tender and sweet. And people always think like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna have to massage this kale and no one's gonna like it. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I put, I put it in smoothies for my toddler regularly. She'll eat it plain. It really has this sort of like remarkable flavor that people don't expect from kale. And so that I think is is one thing that's that's been really exciting to hear from consumers is that the, the work that we've done, they can notice it, they see it, they taste it. Um, and it's great to be able to have that feedback loop. We had our, we brought our accelerator cohort group by plenty um, in San Francisco office um, last year, and we did a tasting of the kale and everybody, people were from all over the world in the accelerator, right? And everyone, there was one guy who was like, he was going to be a kale hater no matter what, but even he was like, okay, this is, this is pretty good, you know, but everyone else just- For kale, I can handle it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the other thing I was going to say, just, this is a consumer of one the beginning of COVID when we were in lockdown and everyone was like not going to the grocery store. So we were going to the grocery store about every two weeks. And luckily in my local grocery store, they were um, stocking plenty. And so we would, so every two weeks we would buy like six of the boxes and it would last two weeks. And so to, to the end of the second week, I was still having, you know, fresh produce, which was just 
it was such a gift. It was, you know, you open my refrigerator and they were stacked up, but um, it was such a gift to be able to have fresh greens. Well, everyone was buying cans of beans. I love that you were out there buying you know, packages of lettuce. That totally speaks to you. And uh, uh, I'm glad that we could deliver on that extended shelf life and get you through those early months. And, you know, at the end of the day, there's there's increasing volatility in produce, right? So, you know, field agriculture is facing challenges with volatility. That means that there's volatility and availability, but also volatility in just product quality. And by growing indoors, we can actually remove a lot of that volatility. So the way we think about it is like, can we get the best of what could be grown outside? But can we do it year round? Can we do it in a way that you feel like, you know, consistently you're going to get a flavor and a texture um, that you love every single time. And that's been hard in produce. It's, um, it's not like manufacturing a cracker. It's a lot more complicated. And yeah, we're, we're excited to be able to offer that sort of consistency to consumers, because that's, I think, another thing that's really going to unlock consumption. If you know you can buy something every time and it's going to be great, um, you're going to be willing to, you know, buy that fresh produce and make that investment. And um, I think that's really exciting for the category. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. So one last question as you look at building more farms and more types of crops, what are some other models that you're considering for distribution to, you know, you want to, you want to hit other parts of the country, but you want to still keep that, you know, it's going to be fresh when it gets there. So what do you think? Yeah, I think there's a few things that we're thinking about, as I mentioned, you know, having these hubs in various places where we um, produce is going to be really important. And so when we think about innovation and distribution, we're really often thinking about how do we make the transportation logistics as sustainable as possible, right? So how can we be centrally located to key customers' distribution centers and their routes? You know, we are not constrained where we have to pick, you know, land that is, you know, arable and perfect growing conditions. We can actually pick our sites based on logistics a few other factors, right? Maybe access to water and power and other things. Um, but I think that's going to be really important is how we pick future sites. And, you know, the distribution components will be really key on that. Um, and I think in, in terms of other models for distribution, another one that we're really focused on is trying to find ways to kind of steady supply and demand balances and find partners who are flexible so that we can uh, reduce any waste that's coming from our farms. You know, we can produce a steady production year round, but that's not to say that consumption is steady year round, right? We know in January, consumers rush to eat lots of salads because they feel weighed down from all of the holiday meals and it's new year, new you. We can keep up with that demand in January, but when things, you know, slide a little bit in February or March, you know, we'll be working to find great partners that can help kind of take any excess supply that we have. And because of where we're going to be located and have these central facilities, we should be able to find really great partners to get that produce to people. You know, as I said, in the very beginning, the main goal is, you know, getting fresh produce in the hands of people. And so our locations and our distribution models will be really, really critical to that. Great. Well, Jill, I think that's our time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Bonnie. This was great. Now we will talk to Brian Cook. Brian is president of Local Bounty. He was also the CEO of Pete's 
for four and a half years and has been in the produce industry for over 20 years, just like me. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, Brian. I'm excited to talk to you and hear about uh, the local bounty and what the last mile is for you. So tell us a little bit about the company and then we'll get into some of the other topics. Hi, Vani. Excited to be here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Local Bounty was actually the brainchild of Craig Hurlbert and Travis Joyner. They started the company in 2018, and their original mission was to try to find what is the best CEA option out there to date. And when they couldn't find exactly what they were looking for, they went out and really started to scrub on what was the best of the two worlds that are fairly known when you think of CEA, which is vertical farming and greenhouse growing. And so they took the company public in 2021, in December of 2021, under this pretense of their stack and flow technology. And the stack and flow technology is exactly what I just mentioned. It's the vertical farming at the start and finishing in the greenhouse. And so what we do effectively is we start growing the small plants to a certain size and then reintroduce them when they're at the right age to the greenhouse and let them finish the life cycle there under the sun. What we found originally was the vertical, in the vertical space, what it took to get the last part of the product done was extremely expensive and it wasn't gonna give our retail partners and our food service partners the price point that you needed for us to be successful long-term. And so by introducing that into the greenhouse and using the beautiful sun to finish the product, we were able to really drive out a lot of those costs, strengthen the plant and, ultimately get a better eating experience and a lot fresher product. I came to the company in April of 2022 with the acquisition of Pete's, also known as Hollandia Produce. And we were a family-run company in the early stages. The company was founded in 1970. And then in 2016 is when Pete, who was the youngest son and, and who controlled the company and owned the company at the time, sold the company to the employees and we became an ESOP at the end of 2015 and then heading into the 2016 year. And so uh, when Local Bounty bought us in April of 22, we just became one happy family. Excellent. And on the the Pete's, the assets that they bought, were those greenhouses? Was it mostly greenhouses that were in production already? Yeah, that was the exciting part about the, the two companies coming together. So we had approximately 30 acres of operating greenhouses in California. And we were building at the time three acres of greenhouse in Georgia. And what was extremely exciting about the two companies coming together was the stack component of stack and flow was easily put towards, like if you look at our Georgia greenhouse as an additive on there. So it was just a bolt on to our our greenhouse that we were already building. And so really what it's allowing us to do is as the uh, stack part continues to get built, it gets right, put right into production within our greenhouse models. That makes a lot of sense. So you talked a little bit about what makes you different with the stack and flow. Um, so what's the outcome of that? So you get better unit, unit economics. What are some of the advantages of doing it that way? Yeah, I mean, that's really what we were solving for. You know, we knew it would be great to have a product that we could grow closer to consumption. You know, that would give us the freshness. It would really effectively give us a better eating experience for consumers. It would allow us to get into regions with really fresh produce that usually don't get to see that really kind of vibrant, crispy lettuce 
Um, you know, when you start getting into like the outskirts of town, you know, there's a lot of time it takes for a product to get there. And so we were really trying to solve for that. And you can't do that and then charge an exorbitant price that someone's not able to pay. Mm-hmm. And so the focus on unit economics was really the driving force of what led us to the stack and flow technology. I think that's an, an issue for, for CEA overall right now. And we're all trying to figure that out, you know, because it's there is more expense involved. And so how do we get those unit economics down so that we can make a great product that that consumers can afford? So this is a, a really exciting way that you've done that. So that's really interesting. So walk us through what happens at one of your farms. So you sounds like you do germination and you seed and then talk us through like what happens all the way up to the time that the product is in a package. Yeah. So what ends up happening is that we seed the product. It propagates so that we, we get it, the germination, the front part of the growing cycle where the, the germination happens is started. Then we introduce that into our stack. And then we have these stack nurseries that grow the plants to certain to certain sizes. Once we get it to the size that we want, it's transplanted into the gutter system, specifically talking about our Georgia's facility because we have multiple growing styles, but it goes into their gutters and then the gutter gets introduced into the greenhouse. A number of days later, it hits to the, the opposite side of the greenhouse, fully happy and ready to harvest, comes back into the production area, gets harvested. The harvested lettuce goes to its packing area and gets automatically packaged. And the channel itself goes through a cleaning and sanitation process and then gets ready to get put back in line to start the whole process all over again. So do you, after you pack, do you have cooling there? And like, so what happens after it's packed? And then what happens after that, after it uh, is, leaves your place? Yep. So where you're, uh, you know, packing in a cool environment, keeping it cool, that's, you know, an important part of the process, making sure that, uh, you know, we're taking any heat out of the product once it's getting harvested. We pack it. Uh, All of our product generally is same day harvest. So a lot of our product will get harvested and then shipped out that evening. There are times where it might be, you know, the next day, especially when we're looking at products as harvested later in the day. But Effectively, it's within 24, 48 hours, all of the produce that, that we've been har- that's been harvested is going out to our retail and food service partners. So do you own the trucks? Whose trucks do they go into? And is it what partners are you working with and who you're selling to? Yeah, logistics is an extremely uh, important part of this process. And the answer is yes. <laughs> so we do a little bit of everything, you know, depending on the campus where our customers are coming. A lot of times they'll come up and pick up FOB. There are a good amount of times where we need to deliver the product to their warehouse. And sometimes we have crosstalk partners where we're consolidating our produce with others that they do business with so that they could fill a truck and then take it to their final warehouse, You know, whether that be a retail or food service distributor. So there's a lot of different ways that we um, mm-hmm. you know, get the final product to, to market. Definitely a team effort where it takes everybody to figure out what's the best for their particular needs. Yeah. And so what kind of technology or do you, have you brought in new software to help figure that out or how, how is that done? I mean, it used to be text messages and, and spreadsheets, but I assume you're doing different things now. 
Yeah, we're continually trying to improve and seeing what's what's out there. You know, obviously tech plays a, a huge role and will continue to play a huge role in getting things done better, smarter, faster, less expensive, and, and all of those good things. But I think it's important to realize that having the right team in place to manage that technology is super important. And so we've been having a, uh, putting a really strong effort on just making sure we're building the right team that as we continue to scale, we're currently at four campuses, two in California, one in Georgia, one in Montana. But we're also building Texas and Washington State. So just think about that, right? You're going to end up having six facilities that have product that going in and out, You know, whether it's raw materials or finished product. We need a great team in place to be able to uh, make sure that we're moving all of that in a very focused effort. And you don't, I know you don't have... Con- complete control of what happens if it goes to someone's distribution center, but what time frame are you trying to hit from the time that it's harvested to the time that it's on a, either at a restaurant or in a grocer? Yeah. I mean, I would tell you that it's 24 hours, right? That's what really what you're driving for every day. You want to get product in and harvested and cooled and packed and out to that DC that night. So the next, so that when they're sending trucks out that, that evening or early morning, they're on those trucks and getting delivered to the stores and the restaurants. You know, that's what we're all striving to do. I think in practice, sometimes there's another day uh, that happens and you're always, you know, making sure you have a little bit of inventory with you so you don't ever get caught for those surprises that happen in our business at times. But we're, you know, always pushing hard to, you know, get it to market within 24 hours for the best eating experience. So what do consumers notice? What do they say about your product and, and why would they keep purchasing your product? Oh my God. Yeah, it's, it's been fun. So we just launched with another retail partner and it's been great seeing the reviews come in. But what we're hearing a lot of is obviously fresh and which is great because that's what we're focusing on, right? Yeah. Making sure that that eating experience is the best it can be. Uh, crunch and crispy we hear a lot of within our blends. and. Um, you know, it's great when we're when we're seeing it here. This is the best salad that we've eaten. You know, it's always we've had that happen a couple of times, and uh, you know, just in the short time we got this new product in the market, and uh, those are always fun fun to read as well. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so, what are the what are the different? You guys do blends. What what are the different products that you're putting out there now? Yeah, so we do uh, a living line of products. So, with our our core item being a living butter lettuce. We're also doing uh, five skews of packaged salads. We do a, a green leaf. We do a spring mix, a butter lettuce, a romaine crisp, and then a red and green blend. And so those are that's our packaged salad line. In certain campuses, we're launching new value add skews. So within the last few months, we launched a new grab and go premium restaurant quality salad kit. And that's uh, being done in the Pacific Northwest. And we also launched our first heat need item. So it's kind of dinner in five minutes. It's a, um, you know, just a quick, easy alternative for for families on the go in uh, 200 Sprout stores in California and Arizona. Wow. What is in that that you heat up? So um, it has a chicken, mushrooms, carrots, green onions. It's in a great, tasty tangy Asian sauce. Mm. Um, and then we serve it with our butter lettuce where all you have to do is chop the, the living piece off, rinse the leaves. And while, you know, the leaves are drying, you, you put the, this, um, 
you know, pr this pre-made inclusions that, that we put into it in a pan, warm it up for five minutes and then plate it and get ready to have some great tasting dinner. Oh my gosh. I'll have to look for that. That sounds really great. Is that, do you think that's going to be a, a change in a big growing part of your business is those, those types of products? Yeah, I think, you know, the consumers in general are still looking for value add. Mm. You know, it, it took a little bit of a backseat during the COVID years when people had more time at home. And even though a lot of people aren't going back to the office fully, what we're also we're seeing is that even with that, people are having full days at home in their home office. And so they still don't have the time. <laughs> you know, they, they may have been able to cut out some of the drive time, but they're still very, very busy people. And their kids are still playing soccer and football and basketball and baseball. A lot of times, all of it. You know, we're just trying to do our part in, in you know, being able to deliver them two things. One, a quick and easy meal, but two, something where they don't have to give up quality and taste, you know, to have something quick and easy. And so that's really what we're driving for is solving for the, those two items. Yeah. And the freshness. I mean, it's so exciting to, to have that type of option. So are there other models of distribution that you're looking at? Or is this, is, do you think this is the way it'll go in the future? Models of distribution as in uh, from a, like a logistics side of things or? Yeah, just or, or how you might do things differently. Or are you selling any online things? Is that an thing you might look at? Yeah, we haven't done anything on the direct-to-consumer side of, of the business. There's a lot that still needs to be figured out just in that world, generally speaking. Hmm. But also, you know, we've been at this for a long time. Uh, we've got a lot of wonderful, great partners. And so we're always cognizant of making sure that when we're launching new items, it's complementary of what they're doing. You know, we're, you know, for an example, with that heat meat item, one could say, oh, okay, well, you know, that's re it's a restaurant quality meal. You're pulling it from the restaurant. And, I, and I'm saying, no, what you're doing is you're putting something in their mouth that they're going to be like, huh, I miss going to so-and-so. And so they're going to do that. And so both retail and food service at the end of the day get this elevated push because when the consumers are eating something tasty at home, they like to think about it. But also when they can't make it to a restaurant because they're busy, you know, they've got a great alternative to do mm -hmm. to eat something healthy and tasty in their home. So what are some of the other biggest issues and challenges that you're solving for now? Ooh, you know, I think it's always the people piece. And I don't mean that people are difficult, but finding, yeah. <laughs> you know, finding, you know, when you're a scaling company, you need a lot of people, you know, really quickly. quickly. <laughs> yeah. And you need, a, and, and there's a lot of training that goes on to it. You know, when I've explained kind of how our process works, you know, you didn't hear me necessarily say a person once, right? Because there's not a lot of people touching the product, but there's a lot of people visually looking at the product and seeing it, make sure the quality is there, making sure, you know, that delivered end product is the best it's going to be. And we're using, all, you know, not just the visual, the eyes of folks where, you know, we're also looking at tech, you know, and how that could play a role. But at the end of the day, you know, people will always be needed. What we're doing is pretty unique. And so there's a lot of training that needs to go involved in it. And so continually making sure that we have uh, what we like to call our bench ready to get up and, and, you know, take bigger and better roles within the company is always something that we're focused on. Hmm. That's great. You talked a little bit about growing and, and starting new campuses. So what's the future growth plans for Local Bounty and kind of what is it like the next five years? What are you trying to build? 
Yeah, so I mean, what we know to date is that uh, we've got Texas being built. We're expecting that to come on at the end of this year. And then we've got Washington also being built. You know, we've staggered those a little bit because going back to the people thing, we got to make sure that uh, when we, um, you know, start producing, producing and commissioning the greenhouses that we have all the right people in the right positions. So that will be uh, first quarter of 24. And then beyond that, we're always keeping our eyes open. You know, we're, you know, we built, if you look at the team that we've built, it was a team that was built with the focus on scaling. Oh, interesting. So, you know, we're, we're still continuing to look at what our best options are in that round while our operations team remain laser focused on making sure that each campus is doing everything it needs to do to keep the focus on profitability in one thing, but also just putting out a high quality product to the end users. Do you think acquisition is going to be part of that growth strategy or you probably can't say? Yeah, no, um, you know, I never could say anything directly that's not already out there in a public <laughs> forum. We didn't cover that at the onset, but we are a public company. I, I think I kind of maybe touched on that a little bit at the beginning, but um, yeah. while we can't say that, you know, we, we could say that, you know, we are always focused on doing what's right for all of our stakeholders and shareholders. And, you know, there's there's a lot of change happening in the space right now. There are going to be opportunities that arise. And, you know, we will always remain open to to the right acquisition opportunity. And in the same light, you know, we've like with Georgia, we started off with three acres. And before that was even sold, had it pretty much sold out. And so we had to start a second three three acres. So oh, really? you know, wow. organic growth is also very much, you know, top of mind as we're continuing on our path and, and pre-selling of these greenhouses as they come online. Great. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time. It was great to hear about the great work that you're doing there and let's keep in touch. Thank you. Thanks, Bonnie. You've been listening to Fresh Takes on Tech, a podcast from the International Fresh Produce Association. Keep connected with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you like what you've heard, please rate the show. That helps us keep delivering the latest on produce technology. Thank you for listening. Until next time.